2: Hello everyone and welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast. If you guys are looking for a podcast with in-depth whiskey news, long drawn out tasting notes and backward opinions on how whiskey should be drunk, then you've definitely come to the wrong place. I'm Mitch Beshard, your
1: co-host. And I am Daz Haldane and between us we have... 30 years of experience in the whiskey industry. Mitch, of course, with a little bit more than me. <laughs> uh, so we thought we'd share our experience
2: and passion with you guys uh, and hopefully give you a laugh on the way, talking about some of our amazing experiences within whiskey. Interesting whiskey facts interwoven with our
1: diamond banter. Right, Daz? Indeed, indeed. It's the podcast where we plan to give you guys the insider's look into the fascinating world of whiskey and a few nuggets from our experiences. And of course, we have worked for some of the biggest names in whiskey, so we do have the inside track and we're going to share it with you here. So, we're going to kick off this first episode with some whiskey tales, tales from
2: our experiences as brand ambassadors and stories we've heard from people that have been in the industry way longer than us.
1: Grab a dram. Sit back and enjoy as Mitch and I gas away about all these wonderful things from our industry. So firstly, thank you to everyone for tuning
2: in to our first attempt at this. Daz, we just told everyone we're these experienced guys within the whisky industry. So I think we need to back that up, right? So let's start off with your amazing
1: career today. Tell everyone what you've done. I started actually working in bars and restaurants. Um, My family, my dad was a submariner. He was a cook on the submarines. So he was basically like a, a shite version of Steven Seagal. Um, and what we then did is obviously worked in restaurants, went into bars. And through that, I managed to end up working with Diageo, which is where Mitch and I met for the first time, mm-hmm. actually. And, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later on. I spent five years there, five years then with Edrington, Highland Park and McAllen. And then the last five years working for White and Mackay, mainly across Dalmore, Jura, Fetter, Cairn and Tam So, 15 years has whizzed past uh, so, so quickly in the whiskey industry. But Incredible, it has right? been, uh, well, listen, it's it's been good. There might have been a few whiskeys along the way, Mitch.
2: No, it's cool. I mean, I remember going back to my hospitality days as well when we used to hang about together in bars. Um, I was in Browns. I used to come in a tonic after my shift and used uh-huh. to... Uh, helped me out with a, a few after-drink cocktails. Uh, but yeah, man, like you said, I was the same as you. I jumped into Diageo around about the same time. I was a little bit before you there for five years. And then I went off to the US of A with William Grant and Sons to become their Glenfiddich ambassador, uh, looking after the West Coast and then taking over the entire country. I was their national ambassador. Uh, so I've been, again, the same as you, Dad, 15 years as a whiskey ambassador. Uh, now I've got my own company, doing experiences, consultancy, Uh, Doing the whole thing So going alone, which is interesting But also fucking scary Uh, But good times, oh good times What we wanted to do with this first episode Was talk to you guys about our personal experiences You know, some of our incredible stories that we've had Within our almost, well, over 30 years Within the whiskey experience, right? Uh, And also talk to you guys about some of these great stories That we've heard from these guys that we've been lucky enough to work with, some of these legends within within the working, uh, sorry, within the whiskey industry that have really dedicated their whole life to uh, to, to the whiskey world. So, Daz, what's yours, man? What's, what if, if you were to, to, you know, you're now granddad, you're sitting oh, down, oh, right. you've got your grandson on the knee, and the yeah. grandson says, so, uh, granddad, what did you do back in your whiskey days? What yeah, one yeah. story
1: are you going to tell them? One of the ones that stands out for me was... was um... It was actually just as I was finishing with Diageo and I was going over to work at Highland Park and um, I was speaking to you at the same time, Mitch. And I remember there was you were already at Grants over in America, if you remember, and it it got towards the end of the year. And I think it was about November, December time. And I had been successful with my first interview and I went back in to do my my second interview for the Highland Park job to be their global brand ambassador. And that was a big step for me, you know, and it was the first time really I would go straight into only talking about whiskey. So no cocktail stuff, no gins and rums and tequilas and stuff like that. So yeah, I'd set my sights on it and I was really, really keen to do it. And, And you'll know Jerry Tosh, um, from you know the travels when he was at Highland Park back in the day, he was their ambassador for years, became their marketing guy, went over to the dark side, didn't he? So he was interviewing me for my job at Highland Park. Him and a girl called Susie Davidson. So I'm in the room, and they'd asked me to tell them a story or share something that I was very passionate about. So it was an early morning meeting, and um, I made them breakfast. Right, so I took in some nice croissants. I made nice. them some lovely coffee and I made them, them up mate. Mate, I'll, I, Listen, the, the key to this is obviously fill them up, make them feel good and then get out of there, hopefully get the job. So I've <laughs> gone in and I, we've, we've done the breakfast thing and I've served it all up. And I, I did the coffee in a, you know, these Japanese coffee siphons where you heat it up from the bottom yeah, yeah, and the yeah. vacuum sucks the water up. It brews the coffee as it cools. It then passes back through and you need a, like a little light fire. to to get this coffee boiling and get the water heating away. So I used this little heater and it was a paraffin one, right? So it's uh, smoking away. I've lit it in the offices and it starts (laughs) bellowing out all this smoke. And I wasn't quite sure if it was meant to do that or not. So anyway, I've created a bit of a mess. Anyway, I've I've made them their coffee and they're, they're giggling away. And my story was, you know, that it was a great way to serve a simple thing. It's about the ritual and the experience, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. I, uh, I sat down and I felt like it went quite well. They started asking me normal interview questions kind of after that. Anyway, I, I felt good. I was confident. If I didn't get the job, fair enough, but I thought I'd put myself across as well as I could. So I'm, as I'm walking out the room, I've said goodbye to Jerry and Susie. I'm, I'm at the door and Jerry turns around to me and says, Daryl, and I was like, yeah. He's like, um, where are you going after this? And I was like, well, I'm just going to get in the car and, and go home. And he says, Cool you might want to wash wash that suit off your face before you go home. No mm-hmm. way. What, what do you mean? And he was like, well, just, you know, when you did that coffee at the start of the interview, you've touched your face quite a few times. You might want to just go wash it off before you go home. <laughs> and I go into the, honestly, I went into the, the bathroom and I had literally put suit all over my face because I was clearly nervous in the interview. I must have been touching my face or something. I look like an American footballer, you know, with all the chalk marks on my face and stuff. Unbelievable, oh, yeah. man. So, um, anyway, and you still got the job? I got the job, thankfully, and actually, I think I got it more out of sympathy than anything else. You know, <laughs> uh, and Jerry, Jerry's a master of the quake. He's the director of private client over at White and Mackay now, and uh, I see him fairly regularly, and he's, he's he's sure to make sure I don't forget that. You know, <laughs>
2: mate, that's, that's big big shoes to fill, but you did it. You did it well, mate.
1: I did all right. I did it all right. I always remember you telling me actually back in the day that you were a big fan of Highland Park eighteen. So, you know, it's the it's the first time I've ever valued your opinion, probably the last time to be fair. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Yeah, I always think it's funny going in for these interviews. I remember I got to the stage with, you know, William Grant and Sons where I was, and you'll probably be the same now, where you're starting to, to interview all these guys and you kind of see it, right? It's, and a lot of the time it's bartenders coming in that want to move from that bartending world to the ambassador world. And it's, you know, I, I, I remember that from my, you know, from our Diageo days. I remember my interview for Diageo was literally in the Balmoral Hotel over four pints of Guinness and about 10 Regal King size with Phil Keane. Uh-huh. And then, uh, you know, we went out and, and got messed up in Edinburgh afterwards.
1: And That yeah. was my job inter- interview for that for that role. Um, yeah. What about you, man? I mean, there must be, certainly with grants and obviously working in the States for as long as you did, yeah. Um, you must have a few funny stories from those times.
2: Yeah, I think it's um, it's not so much funny. It's it's so it's more like surreal. The story that I've got, uh, and and I still to this day, do not ever think I'm going to beat this for like an amazing whiskey day. I mean, it was like I remember waking up the next day and just thinking, did that actually happen? So it was 2013, and I think it might have been the first ever nth uh whiskey show in las vegas just that i attended week. yeah 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 it just happened last week but yeah this was this was the first ever one and um what we did with glenfiddich was we did this high end or high roller as they called it tasting uh where we rented out five helicopters and flew everyone into the grand canyon and mm-hmm. i'm not talking like we just landed by the side of the grand canyon we actually landed in the grand canyon wow. with these five helicopters did a tasting of Glenfiddich 30, 40, and 50 year old. Um, so as if that wasn't enough, right? That's that's an amazing fucking day by itself. Mm. Rewind to about a week before I did that, I had an email from Calvin Harris's manager. And he's like, oh, you know, Calvin is a massive fan of Glenn Fittick, 21-year-old. That's what he always asks for as his rider, blah, blah, blah. So we start talking. So I said to the manager that we're doing this, this helicopter ride and does Calvin want to come along? He's like, nah, he's shit scared of flying. So there's no way you're going to get him on a helicopter. Mm. But he would like to invite you to his gig he's doing that night. Uh, and it was in, in the wind. So anyway, I made sure that I kept some of the 50-year-old uh, back for Calvin Harris that night. Uh, I end up meeting him meeting him just before he's about to go on for his gig pour him a little bit of 50-year-old we have a little, we drink a little bit of 50-year-old and then he's like right come on then come with me and I'm like well he's like hey, hey you're coming at the gig right so I walk literally not on stage but kind of like back of stage with mm. Calvin Harris and I'm standing right behind him with this glass of glenfiddich 50-year-old and he's turning round to me he's like this is all right isn't it I'm like yeah man this is pretty fucking cool <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you know for a day that cannot be beat within being a brand uh, be, being a whiskey ambassador i think that is going to top it unless i go to the moon or do something like that you know
1: yeah yeah i think that's it isn't it i think quite a lot of people might have the impression that that happens every day for a yeah. brand ambassador and uh even on a brand as big as glenfiddich in a market like the states you know even that's still quite quite a rare kind of once in a career type gig you know Oh, mate, it was incredible. I mean, you
2: know, I was with uh, Ian Miller as well at the time. He's an absolute, you know, whiskey legend, uh, global ambassador for Glenfiddich at the time. And he still says to, to this day that that was the most amazing day he's ever had. Uh, you know, he didn't even know who Calvin Harris was. And then we're that,
0: in a nightclub it? and
1: we're, uh, I always
2: remember this, we're, we're in the nightclub and, and Calvin gave us like a whole table that was just jam-packed with like vodka Red Bulls and stuff and Ian Miller is getting tucked into the uh, the vodka Red Bulls (laughs) he didn't sleep for the next like four days he's like I've never had that stuff before I'm never doing it again
1: (laughs) but I love that there's there's that there's there's that lovely element of humility I think especially from people that live on site at distilleries and work at these distilleries and things like that and I'll never forget when the Highlands and Islands Council um, used to pay for certain acts to travel around the islands to come and visit you know the smaller populations and things because they would never have the pool you know for big djs and big acts and things like that so um in orkney Mumford and sons had agreed to come up to st magnus cathedral and play a gig up there so randomly through one of the connections they um they ended up doing a tour of highland park distillery and uh pat retson it was uh, pat well pat pat's uh, retired now but pat was wonderful she worked at highland park for a very long time and She looked after them, took them around the distillery for a tour, and they end up in one of the tasting rooms upstairs. And the guys have just sort of pulled, I think there was a few guitars up there, just picked a few instruments and just started strumming away and gassing away, chatting to Pat and all that kind of stuff. So they had said to Pat, look, if you're available tonight, just pop down and, and come and see us. Now, I don't think Pat fully appreciated just who they were. And Pat turns it down politely and, and says she can't because she's got to sort her horse out. She looks after her horse. So she, you know, she was busy doing that yeah. in, in you know, whatever time in evening, seven at night or something. Uh, Pat's got a, a son and a daughter, and her uh, son's at home, i uh, was at home at the time. So Pat goes home and she, you know, his son asks, How was your day, Mom? All good, you know. Oh, yeah, fine, no, but ba- not bad. We had a, these guys were here from, I think they're playing at the St. Magnus Cathedral tonight. They said I should pop down, but I didn't really fancy it. And the sons obviously looking at it going, that's Mumford and Sons. Are you joking? Are you actually joking? You've turned, she said, well, I never thought, I didn't know who they were. And he's obviously an agent trying to get tickets, probably not got them. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, I love that. Like, it doesn't really matter. You know, you turn up at the door, you could be the, the biggest celebrity in the world or, or you know, just normal guy like us walking off the street. And I think most of these distilleries would probably treat you quite similarly, you know, it's brilliant. I love that.
2: A lot of these guys, you know, that, that, that are in, in the whiskey industry that are absolute legends are just so humble. I yeah. mean, for me, David Stewart's the classic example mm. of that with, with Balvenie, you know. Right, so anyway, let's get on to one of the sections we're going to do in this podcast. What's that?
1: drinking this week?
2: So every episode we're gonna be drinking something obviously because it's a whiskey podcast and it'd be pretty shit if we weren't drinking
1: anything so that's what we're gonna be drinking this week all right well many years ago Mitch when you and I started working together we would fall out on a regular basis about what was better now you at the time were a big Lagavulin fan Mm -hmm. I wasn't as big a fan of Lagavulin as you were my preference always from the Diageo fold was Talisker love that whiskey Beautiful stuff. I think it's a great representation of where it comes from. I think style wise, I could pick it out. You could put a hundred whiskies in front of me. I know I could pick out yeah. any of the Taliskers. Well, most of them. Um, so I thought we would go to Talisker up to the Isle of Skye and try this wonderful whisky. Um, uh, you have what? What have you got? I have got
2: the uh, Talisker Sky, actually. Which so I uh, spanked all my. Talisker a while ago for my Diageo days. I remember having quite a few bottles of the 25-year-old. Um, and to be honest with you, I haven't drunk Talisker for a while. I, I, I remember the last time I did it, we did a blind tasting. And to your point, I picked out straight away and I forgot how fucking good this stuff is. You know what I mean? Um, so I saw Talisker Sky the other day. And I was like, oh, I haven't tried that before, uh, which is a no age statement, but it's a little bit higher ABV than the normal 10-year-old. So we've got 45.8% ABV on it. I always get this pepperiness. Yeah, with talisker that comes yeah. through.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. The The guys, I always remember doing tastings with it. We used to always say it was kind of red hot chili peppers. You know, It's got that mm. lovely little bit of spice, but there's also that lovely element of kind of brininess, seaweedy kind of quality as well, which yes. leads into a touch of sweetness, bitter orange even. And I, and I find that in almost every talisker, even the old stuff, you go right up to your 25s and things like that. And there's usually that combination of flavors in there which is why I do think it is one of the more distinctive whiskeys. Also, remember, there aren't that many whiskies in that medium-peated area. You know, when you talk about Ardbegs and Laphroids and Lagerfoolies, they're very peaty, Kalilas and stuff. They're right up there at the top. And then you come right back down towards the bottom where you've maybe got your Highland Parks and things, Jura probably as well, and that kind of bottom pile. And then in the middle, Springbank, Talisker, uh, there's very few you know, in that middle, that kind of middle peak. But so I think Talisker kind of owns that little space. I think it's a really great place to enjoy a whiskey either early on or even as a nightcap late at night. I think it's just got that lovely versatility. I've actually, I'm a bit posher than you, Mitch. Um, I've actually got the the Talisker 2020 special releases, eight-year-old and I know how fancy um this is actually finished in a pot still rum cask this one as well which is um which is quite cool and I I I sway I'm not convinced fully on rum casks I like some and I don't like others um but this was this was decent eh? and it's it's coming in as well um at 57.9% so it's full strength what I love about this and it's often what I prefer in a talisker is young talisker I mm-hmm. think is best. Uh, yeah. Eight-year-old, nine-year-old Talisker is always for me are, are, are the best examples of this distillery, higher strength. And that little bit of rum just gives it a wee twist. That's so all. It's a little bit bitter on the finish, nice cinnamon notes, bit spicy, and a little bit of apricot right in the middle of the palate, which is really, really pleasant. So um, not bad price. I think this comes in about 80 quid, 90 quid.
2: Yeah. I mean, that Talisker guy, I picked that up the other day. It was on sale, 25 quid. Mm. 25 quid for a bottle of talisker You can't beat that, right? I, I'm oh, going to give my give myself uh, one of these. <laughs> but now, yeah, yeah it's, it's a beautiful dram and an amazing place to go. You and I went up there a few times uh, up to the yeah. distillery on Sky before it became a tourist trap, which it is a little bit now. Um, I remember, you know, fond memories of going up there by sailboat a couple of times with the, mm-hmm. the malt cruise uh, and then once by helicopter. Dude, that was awesome. Landed. At Talisker, in a helicopter, everyone thought I was a celebrity, came rushing over, saw me jumping out and was
1: like, oh, who's this guy? Pfft, bullshit. What is it with you and <laughs> helicopters? Oh, mate, love, it. love a helicopter. <laughs> but I think, um, <laughs> actually, I-, I haven't been, I don't think I've been to Talisker for about eight years, nine years. Man, I'm the same. Yeah, at least yeah. 10 years.
2: At least yeah. 10 years for me. So it'd be interesting to go back and see what's going on. And I noticed as well that they have, still have on the label, um, the only distillery in Sky they need to change that now. They
1: need to update not. that. Absolutely. So Torveig has opened um, within the last six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it just before Christmas? I think it was, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, they're putting out liquid already. So um, kind of well, released, well, that's that. what I
1: mean. So they released their malt whiskey just, yeah, within the last six months, they released it, didn't they? So yeah, yeah the distillery has yeah. been there for a good three or four years now. Um, yeah, but that's a great that's actually a, a great excuse for us to get in the car get up to Sky and go and check out Torveg, but also go back to Talisker for the first time in 10 years. I didn't realise this, but Talisker, well, Sky, the island itself, second most visited place in Scotland now behind Edinburgh.
2: It's time for Mitch and Daz's Interesting Scotch Whiskey Facts that Definitely Won't Get You Laid. So I love that jingle, man. That's that's awesome. So I, I think the whole idea of this podcast is, right, we don't want to get geeky. We don't want to get, like, super nerdy with you guys. Uh, I think we will do that in a couple of episodes. We'll maybe go into a little bit of, of kind of whiskey geekery uh, and get there, but maybe, you know, one in five of them, guys. We're going to keep the rest of this all super light, uh, just stories Interesting little nuggets for you. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to do in this section was just talk about some interesting facts with regards to Scotch whiskey.
1: Brilliant. What have you got? What are they?
2: (laughs) What's All right. So here we go. 36 bottles of Scotch whiskey are shipped from the UK to 166 markets around the world each second, ladies and gentlemen. That is insane. Uh, Laid end-to-end, those bottles would stretch 342,000 kilometres. That's 90% of the distance to the moon. Scotch whisky exports are worth £3.8 billion. So in 2019, Scotch whisky accounted for 75% of Scottish food and drink exports. So There you go. The last fact that is definitely not going to get you laid would be that more than 10,000 people are directly employed in the Scotch whisky industry in Scotland. Uh, That equates to over 40,000 jobs uh, across the UK, which are supported by the industry. So, yeah, 40,000 jobs, obviously, that includes people like brand ambassadors, uh, all the marketing guys and all that kind of stuff. So there you go. Interesting Scotch whisky facts that will not get you laid. Don't tell any of those facts in a bar. It's not gonna. It's not gonna work for you.
1: <laughs> it's not. It's not. Uh, can we have another whiskey?
2: <laughs> Mate, absolutely. Okay, I'm never gonna say no to that. All right. So I mean, Dad's. Here's the thing, right? Within our, our our thirty years combined, we've we've met some incredible whiskey legends. We are they? Mm-hmm talking about guys that have dedicated their entire life to whiskey. You've been lucky enough to hang out with with Richard Patterson, or Ricky P, as I like to call him. Yep. Uh, he's got 50 years of experience within Dalmore as their master blender. You know, I was recently interviewing Dennis McBain, one of the legends that, that was a, a coppersmith, uh, for Glenfiddich and Balveni that's got 63 years experience and he's still there right now you know so so these guys have got some incredible stories that we've picked up over our time hanging out with them so what's you know what's your your best one that you've heard
1: I mean there's, there's billions of stories about these guys in particular they, the great thing is is they traveled a lot you know they went out to countries like Taiwan and China America who really when malt whiskey was in its infancy. And I think a lot of people forget that, you know, and you talk about interesting facts about whiskey, that only eight percent of whiskey sold is malt whiskey and still around ninety-two percent is blends. And and I think for us who who consume whiskey and talk about whiskey all the time, it's it's easy to forget that because so so much of our time is is spent dedicated on malt whiskey, right? Yeah. And so these guys helped build that in really early, early days, and it's brilliant. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to share a story from Richard's past necessarily. I'm, I'm just going to share an experience that I had with him that um, really just kind of made me chuckle and gave me a wee smile, you know, because he's a he's a flamboyant, charismatic character. He's a, he's a Trojan, really. He, he works so hard. You go into the office where our sample room is, if you go there at seven in the morning, Richard will be there before you. He's already in, you know, and, and he he'll never mm. leave before you. He's, he's kind of got that mentality. He's in working hard all the time, and he's a very busy guy, right? So through this whole COVID scenario, we've ended up doing a lot of this, and I've spent quite a lot of time with Richard on Teams and Zoom and all that kind of stuff. And his uh, his enthusiasm and charisma is not softened by this media, you know. He uh, maybe comes to life even more because you're getting him in his natural habitat back home, you know, or in the sample room. But once, one day I, I've got two wee ones in them um, through COVID. I was homeschooling and working at the same time. And I, I've got this weekly call with Richard and uh, we're on this thing. And my little man is destroying the living room. And I had to say to Richard, you know, I was like, Richard, just give me a couple of minutes to sort this out. And, and he's so patient, you know, and this is a, there's a sight to Richard that maybe not everybody sees is just how, how much of a people person he is. He really cares a lot about people. You know, He's very sensitive in that way. So anyway, I, I get him like five minutes through to the living room. The wee man's destroying the place and I managed to sort him out. I think I just gave him a bag of sweets and told him to be quiet, put a movie on, you know, classic, terrible and <laughs> um, Anyway, I've managed to settle him down and I come back through to the kitchen and Molly, my little girl, who's a wee bit older, she's eight, she's sat at my laptop having a full-blown conversation with richard patterson right really? and, and I, i'm just sort of like what's going on here and he's like so molly how are you you know how's it going how's your homeschooling going he's and uh, what have you got around you and she's like oh my dad's coffee cup or something like that and he's like right well have a smell of that what does it smell like and he's got her <laughs> literally doing a nosing no <laughs> of of my coffee cup and he's like what do you smell oh you're quite good at that you know and here's a guy that's probably got 20, meeting in his diary, in, uh, 20 meetings in his diary that day and I'm one of these wee guys that's just trying to steal information from him and, you know. and he's given me the time. Not only has he given me the time, when I'm away sorting the kids out, he's got the patience to sit and have a wonderful conversation with wee Molly. And I, I just kind of left it for a minute, I let them carry on and then went back in and we, we finished what we had to do. But there's a side to people like that that uh, a lot of people don't get to see. Everybody knows Richard. Everybody knows who he is and they've seen him at whiskey shows and events and stuff i don't know how many people have got that close to him to actually see the other side of him which is quite a nice but very nice very sensitive very kind of caring guy and, and i must say you know working with him he's very similar with us you know he, he gives us so much time and uh, very appreciative of it and yeah it was funny man molly molly talks about him all the time she's drawn in pictures and all sorts of stuff no you know? that's yeah, yeah, brilliant yeah. <laughs> it's class, like.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. love that that's such a cool story yeah you know and I remember um I, I don't think it was like that back in our Diageo days I, I don't think we had that that contact with the the makers of the whiskey as much uh, you mm. know I think for me that definitely changed when I moved to William Grant and Sons and suddenly I'd get you know an email I, I'd email David Stewart or Brian Kinsman and get a reply within 10 minutes you know what I mean and phone them up whenever i wanted to ask questions which was was it's incredible right i mean you think about these guys they are so busy but they have the time to to do that which is incredible um yeah i mean so my my story i'm going to mention someone that i mentioned already so dennis McBain, who you know i'm, I'm very pally with absolutely love dennis got so much time for him um you know i still spend a lot of time up in space I, I was uh, i've got a house up there so i was uh, i was recently interviewing him and he told me one of the, well, he actually told me this story a while ago, and it relates back to, you know, the, the old days of the excise officers in oh, yes. the, the distilleries, yes. right? And, and he remembers it very well. And he was like, you know, some of the guys, most of the guys were great. I got, I got on with them really well. Uh, and he recalls one of, one of these days when they were at Balvenie and um, the spirit safe, the, the window at the front had cracked, right? Now, for anyone that's been to Balvenie, you'll, you'll know that when you go to, the, to see the spirits, to, to go into the, sorry, when you go into the still house, you actually look down on the stills and the steps that comes up, and it comes up to the, the spirit safe. So this window had cracked on the, the spirit safe, and what they had to do was replace it. They got a guy in, but when they got the guy in to replace the glass, they said to him, can you make this two inches shorter on each side? The reason was they could then push the glass to the side pop in a hose and steal the new make spirit from like straight off the still before it you know went down into the spirit safe. Absolutely incredible. Um, and supposedly they got away with this for years. The only reason they got found out was because the excise officer was walking up the steps from the still house, tripped on the final step and put his hand on the glass to steady himself and moved the glass. And obviously him seeing that, he's like, ah, oh, guys, I'm not happy about that. We need to get this fixed, get that replaced ASAP. So no one actually ever got caught, but yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 it, yeah. it just shows you what I love is like all these stories that I've heard from from these, these old boys back in the days on how they, not necessarily them, but how people used to steal whiskey, you know, and how rife yeah. it was in distilleries. It uh, was
1: very rife. You know, I, I definitely know that from, certainly I remember up in Orkney, I used to go up and speak to the distillery guys a lot there and. They've replaced them all now, I think. Um, but they had old glass panels in the warehouse roofs. Most distilleries had the same little skylights, mm. and these were held in by lead. And, and what would often happen is the guys would leave a cask underneath the skylight with the bung out overnight, and they would go up onto the roofs and they would peel the lead back from the glass panes, take the glass away, and drop dogs down into the casks, and then get back, get the dog back up, put the panes back. Wait. In.
2: Explain to everyone what a dog is. We don't mean oh. a real-life dog.
1: Uh, yeah, sorry, not a pooch. <laughs> no, no, not a pet. Um, a dog's a little cup, I suppose, a little copper cup that's cylindrical, and it, it's perfect for dropping into casks. Um, and obviously, as it as it submerges, it fills up, and then when you whip it out of the cask and pull it up through those windows, you would end up with a, a lovely litre or two uh, of, of free whiskey. And it's, it's well-known at night Certainly up there, and I'm sure at many other distilleries, that's how they would get uh, their, uh, their reason- what they felt was their reasonable share of uh, their stocks, you know, that they would go home and sip away on. But it's very common, these stories, of, of uh, they would find, um, I don't know if you heard about this, but quite often a cask, if it was found half empty or almost empty, they would roll it around and you would hear a bit of a clunk, clunk clunk as they rolled it in the warehouse and they would find mayonnaise glass jars and stuff like that they'd obviously try to get in and pull out all sorts of things like that they would find you know it's funny it's funny mate. Mm. absolutely
2: Mm. Uh, well the best story i think well one of the best stories i heard was actually again going back to our diageo days when we had to do all that in-store sampling remember that in waitrose oh
1: yeah yeah, absolutely brutal Mm. i think Mm. you
2: loved it but
1: i actually did
2: enjoy it yeah yeah (laughs) but uh i remember just by by Total coincidence, I ran into this guy and started chatting to him, and he was the old um, distillery manager of one of the distilleries you currently look after up at Jura. And he told me this great story. He was like, you know, we used to roll out the casks to put onto the pier. We left them overnight Mm. um, for them to come and pick it up the next day, right? And he said he used to get these calls, like, once a month from the mainland saying, like, why are you guys only filling some of the casks half full? He's like, what are you talking about? Like we we fill right away to the brim every time. He then worked out, it was only during the full moon when the tide was at the highest. So therefore the water was like, you know, right underneath the pier and the locals were going in with a boat underneath, drilling into the casks, taking half of it out and then bunging it back up again, sealing it back up again. So they didn't take, didn't empty the cask completely, just just half of it. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. But only during full moon because that's the only time they could get the boats high enough into the pier. That's so funny. Yeah, brilliant. Incredible. I love that. Incredible.
1: Dazz Mitch's
2: Whiskey News of the Week. All right, so in this section, we're going to talk about just briefly things that that have caught our eye within the whiskey world.
1: Big news from Glenn Um, This is a, I think this is a first in malt whiskey, certainly not in blends. I think a lot of blends have been created to make Great drinks, highballs, and cocktails, and things like that. But Glenfiddich X, not Glenfiddich. Oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! Edit, edit that out, mate. Put edit that, that edit. out. Glen Morangy X has been designed using well, the initial maturation for Glen Morangy usually is ex bourbon casks, anyway. Big tall giraffe neck stills, very light floral kind of spirit. Initial maturation in bourbon, and then what they're doing is they're putting it into some recharred casks so they're looking just for that little extra oomph from the oak to come through and it's quite interesting so a slightly richer version of glen moringie designed specifically for mixing now it's at 40% so what's 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 fascinating about this is not for the bartender the professional it's for the at home cocktail enthusiast mm-hmm. so if you want to have a cocktail for, you know, date night, you want to have a cocktail for barbecue or anything like that. That really is what Glenmore and GX has been designed for. So I think they've come up with some drinks um, that people can make at home uh, using that particular whiskey. So it's quite new territory. And, and Mitch, we're I think we're going to have a chat about whiskey and cocktails at some point through this podcast as well. That's, that's going um, to be one of the
2: episodes for sure.
1: Yeah. And it's where we've come from as well. Our background, obviously, being in hospitality, it's something we've always kind of been around as well. So yeah, that's a uh, big news. Big news from Glenmorangie. I think it's big in the to put that
2: on a label, as in you know, it's made for mixing on a single malt Scotch whiskey label. That's a ballsy move. I, yeah, I'm really loving what Glenmorangie is doing right now. I think I thought their last advert that they did was just. That was cool, superb. Eh? That mm. was like bringing, it was bringing Scotch whiskey into the modern world. And, and, and I, I think it, we've been doing that over the last 10 years or so, but something like that really pushes it into this 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 world that we're living in right now. And it's it was slowly getting rid of this, you know, stigmatism. I suppose you could say that it's an old man's drink. It's fusty it's dusty. Mm. Thank fuck. We're, we're shaking that image off, uh, which is good to see. Uh, the only thing I, I, you know, so I love it. But the only thing I, do not like what I, I read about this is, I think it's said here to quote unquote, this whiskey will bring your drink the X factor. Mm. Like, come on guys, that's a shit soundbite. I love yeah. Dr. Bill. I hope yeah. that wasn't Dr. Bill that said that. I,
1: he, we need, he, he will not have said that.
2: Mate, we need to get Dr. Bill on here at some point. Yeah, that'd um, be cool. Big, big fan of Bill Lumsden. Let's get him on the show at some point. I think that's a great thing that we're going to do on this, this show as well. Obviously, Daz and I know a lot of people within the, the, the whiskey industry. Uh, we're going to do three of these ourselves and then we're going to start bringing guests in from all around the world you know that that do jobs within the whiskey world obviously and 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 it's not going to be your stuffy interviews we're going to get them to talk about their life outside of whiskey maybe get some juicy details off them and and get them to open up a little bit that sounds good yeah get them drunk mate well i don't know about
1: getting them drunk but they definitely need to bring us whiskey mate that that's um look that's the best part about this if we're bringing in people from different distilleries or different parts of the industry and stuff they um They need to be sending us some samples. We can't have you going out to Tesco and buying your own bottles of whiskey, Mitch. Can't have that. Mm. Never happens anyway, mate. Never happens (laughs) anyway.
2: All right, so time for the final part of our podcast. Guess the whiskey, 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 guess the whiskey. This is the Guess the Whiskey part of the show. We will eventually do this as a little giveaway. What we want you guys to do here is guess the whiskey that we're talking about right now. Um, I don't know. You can, I suppose, give give the answer. How do you give an answer on a podcast? We've got no idea. Maybe just uh, hit us up on Instagram, right? Absolutely. At Daryl Haldane. Whiskey underscore Mitch. Give us a shout. Let us know what you think it is. We'll give you a mention on the next one. So here is the clue as to what whiskey uh, I'm talking about. So this whiskey is unpeated, but can be peated. Its name relates to a castle and its bottle reflects the shape of its stilts. So, guys, if you do know what that is, drop us a message. Let us know.
1: Uh, If you want to know what it is, listen to the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed the first one. It's been a good giggle. Uh, It's great for Mitch and I to catch up and share a few stories from our experiences over the last 30 plus years or combined years certainly uh, within the industry. Check out the next one to get the answer and you do get to win something. That's for sure. Um, We don't know what yet. We'll figure that out. A date night with Daz. Daz. A date night with us. oh geez, geez, (laughs) don't do that. Uh,
2: We're also going to talk about whiskey trails, uh, whiskey festivals, what's going on and
1: our experiences there. Absolutely, right. So at the end of this week, it's Spirit of Speyside Festival, and that goes right the way through into next week. I'm actually heading up at the end of next week to Copper Brock, which I'm really looking forward to as well. Yes. Uh, I'm also hosting a couple of tastings uh, for Spirit of Speyside with... uh, with our good pal Davy B, Mr. Broom. Um, then into the middle of May, we've got Highland Whiskey Festival, which uh, which has been cancelled this year, uh, but there'll be some tastings throughout the month, which kind of recognise Highland Whiskey Festival. It's a real shame on that festival because the North Whisky, Fe- the North Highland Whiskey Festival, really was about celebrating these distilleries up by Dalmore, Glenmorangie, Old Pulteney and all that, because it's, it's almost a region within itself with some amazing distilleries up on that north coast. Um, and it got its first year underway. We did that physically and it was amazing. But sadly, the last two years have been cancelled through the coronavirus stuff. So, yeah, we'll definitely recognise that. And I think Mitch will have to taste some lovely North Highland whiskies uh, as we go through that. And then at the end of May into the start of June, you've got Fege Isle. Uh, Fish Isle, obviously the Isle Whiskey Festival, but also does include Jura as well. So that's a really cool one. Again, we'll crack out a couple of bottles, do some tasting, see if we can get our hands on some of these lovely distillery exclusives as well. So yeah, what's lot's happening over the next four to five weeks. And Mitch, we'll make sure we check in and get a good scoop on what's happening at these festivals, some of the tastings and stuff that are going on, and make sure we get our hands on a few bottles.
2: Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. All right, guys. So thanks again for listening, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Sludge, Slanjava.